following is KPB MediaWorks production. Choose your fighter. And we are on. Welcome to another episode of KPB Cast, guys. With me today, and this fine evening, I have Dr. Stephanie Orm, a... She's part of a team called the Esports, um, believe it's a networking, um, oh geez, why am I blanking out on, I apologize. <laughs> no, the Esports Research Network. The Esports Research Network, thank you very much. <laughs> and she, you know, she, I brought her onto the show today because she wrote a really fascinating study, and I believe, I'm, this is basically a journal, a scientific journal, is it not? Mm-hmm. Exactly, um, it's a scientific journal based on something called Just Watchers, Spectators for Video Games. Our genre here on this podcast has basically always been fighting games. The paper basically explores a lot of gaming in general, but I figured you would make a really great, you would make for a really good guest on this. Again, considering what we do here. So again, I want to say once again, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to, to chat about this. So before we go on, let's do a little bit of research on you yourself. How long have you been gaming? <laughs> Oh, man, I've been playing video games since I was a small kid, probably four or five years old. Um, my parents had a, a Coleco and television, if right. you know what that is. Yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah, so I grew up playing one of those. Right off the bat, um, did you you said it was your parents who mainly got it for you, or did you or did they get it for you based off the fact that you maybe had other siblings and you took a liking to it? Yeah, so it's actually an interesting question. It's something my own research gets into a lot. Um, so my parents bought that for themselves because this was back <laughs> when when gaming consoles were like family entertainment systems, right? That's they right. They really weren't marketed at young people yet. So they had it, and I just came along, and it was something that my dad would do, and I was just, I don't know, I just kind of gravitated towards it. I'm actually the oldest of three siblings, so uh, we're all gamers, but I was the first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's pretty cool. I've had a, I had a couple of gamers on here who are much older gamers, around 45 and 50, and it's always usually the same idea. My parents loved it because people t- tend to sometimes forget. I mean, not, maybe today's generation, players maybe a little bit younger than us. They tend to forget that arcades were like the greatest thing ever. And then yes. when these consoles, <laughs> now mind you, the consoles were not as powerful as the arcade hardware back then. But the fact of the matter is you could bring some form of said Pac-Man or, or Centipede into, into the household. Mm-hmm. And parents really enjoyed that. You know, the thing that they grew up playing, now you're able to do it at home. Maybe not as well, but the fact that you could do it now home and, you know, share some time with your significant other doing this, it was a real game changer. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think you're right. The younger generation, especially with arcades, not being as much of a thing as they, you know, they're not really around much anymore, sadly. Yeah, I think they just assume that, you know, it's all young people growing up with consoles. My students are always surprised when I tell them in the U.S., the average uh, gamer is 35 years old, yes. 33 years old, somewhere between there. And they're, you know, they always think 17, 18 years old, right? Which Yeah. No, that's actually very true. I mean, look at myself. I'm 38 years old. The majority of the people here we had on this show are we are in our mid 30s and like late late 30s going on to our early 40s. So this is something, you know, video games has been part of my generation for so long. And, you know, I actually thought the average age of a gamer was maybe in their um, mid 20s. But now you tell me mid 30s. I, you know, that one actually threw me off by surprise. Yeah, it makes sense if you start to think about it, right? Because, like, the SNES came out, right, like, the year before I was born, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So we, you know, we're kind of the generation that really grew up with this around our whole lives. 
you know, whereas our parents' generation, right, it was like a thing maybe when they were, you know, some of them in college, right, or working and things like that, you know, when they were in their 20s or 30s, maybe, so it's, Of course. Yeah. Exactly, and, um, you know, video games, even back then, just like today, well, maybe more back then was they had a very big scene in colleges. I remember when I was going to NYIT, there were there were at least 10 groups of just people playing video games. Everybody, you know, after school, before school, maybe during break period, it, we would have groups of maybe like 10, 15 players in each group, by the way. You know, just, hey, let's get our controllers out. Let's just get some uh, fun times going uh, before class. And again, the, you know, video game culture in general, I want to say in the last 20 years, has obviously outgrown what it, what it was in the 80s. Totally. And you yourself, did you continue gaming for a good while there? Or did you put it aside to focus on your studies and your future career? <laughs> Great question. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's always been a constant in my life, I have to say. It changes a little bit. And again, this is something I talk to, you know, it's, it's, we'll probably talk about it, you know, with this study even, but, you know, I think when I went off to college, I think I brought my GameCube or whatever I had kicking at that time, <laughs> with me. but it was, it would be like, I couldn't afford the newest thing that came out. Right. So like, I never had a Nintendo DS cause that came out like when I was a freshman and I was like broke as hell. Right. So I didn't have one. <laughs> so I would like catch up later. I'd be like a generation behind. But definitely through like, you know, grad school, PhD, when I had more disposable income, then I, I would get the newest stuff when it came out. But yeah, so it was never like I had a period where I was without it. It was just maybe slightly delayed. Are you uh, the biggest gamer out of your three siblings? That's tough. Yeah, I'd say I don't know how much my younger brother, he's four years younger than me. I don't know how much he plays anymore. My sister gives me a pretty good run for my money. She's nine <laughs> years younger. And she is like, she's kind of... um. She's not as social, like she's kind of a home buddy, so she might actually play more games than I do just because I like get out a little bit more than she does, but definitely between the two of us for sure. You know, I, I thoroughly enjoy that because one of the biggest topics we always like to cover here on this podcast is the importance of having siblings to play video games with. You know, parents are a little bit different, obviously, you know, sometimes they may not have the time to play video games with their kids. Maybe they're doing some something else, but for you, you had two siblings, and you just said it to our audience here that you you guys are all you guys love playing video games. Mm -hmm. So how important is it in general to have siblings who love video games as much as you do? We've had plenty of people on here who say, "Oh, my brother took me to the arcade where you know he was the best, and I got to play with his friends." But you know, then he just moved on. Video games were not a priority in his life. And usually the guests are the ones who just stayed with it and just just went on. How important was it for you to have siblings that had, you know, equal love for video games as much as you did? Yeah. Oh, I love this question so much on so many levels. Yeah. I mean, I, it was just like how I would say we spent the majority of our time. You know, my parents both worked. My dad worked long overtime kind of stuff. And uh, we were on our own a lot. And, you know, being the oldest, I stayed home and watched the younger two. And I think video games were like a common thread we all had. Because again, big age gap, right? My sister and I, like almost 10 years apart, you know, we're in okay. totally different phases of our lives, right? But sitting around and like playing Mario Party or something together was like <laughs> a common language we shared, right? And right. it's funny because even to this day, you know, I live in Boston. She, she lives back in St. Louis, where I'm from originally. And Video games, I think, are the thing that we have always had in common. It's, like, always what we end up talking about. I'm like, oh, cool, like, you know, a few minutes of small talk, and then we always find ourselves talking about video games, just kind of nerdy stuff in general. And I think that's 
kind of kept a, a strong relationship with her, you know, even from like a distance. So we can like play remotely and things like that together. So for me in particular, I think with the age difference and the geographical gap between us, I think video games are like the basis of our relationship in a lot of ways. You know, it's interesting you say that because usually, again, going back to some of my hosts, you know, their, their siblings are maybe two or three years age difference. So obviously there's going to be a little bit closer to like, you know, when different things change in life. You, you say you're 10, year, 10 years older than your sister. So there really is a much bigger dramatic dramatic way of looking at that because like you said yourself it's like yeah i'm 10 years old maybe you know i'm gonna go out with my friends later on and i have uh you know my i'm leaving my kid sister there playing video games but it's pretty cool to hear that you guys have kept that bond um throughout your whole life so far i'm assuming it's the same with your brother yeah yeah to a degree i don't think you know he works a lot i think um got a pretty serious lady friend now so i think his priorities have maybe shifted a bit lately um no i think he still plays just just not as much yeah i don't know you know you could say you grew up in st louis a big baseball town big big sports town (laughs) were you guys into sports of any kind because i know plenty of people from there and it's kind of weird not having you know love for sports if you're from there Oh, I'm well, a you're already Cardinals. laughing, so this is going to be yeah, pretty funny. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a huge Cardinals baseball fan, which living in Boston, so my husband's a Red Sox fan. Oh, boy. Uh, so <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> we always joke the toughest year of our marriage was the, you know, a couple World Series, right? Uh, 2000, uh, 2004. Uh, yeah, let's see. Yeah, 2004. We weren't even together then, so what was it, 20, 2014? Was that the last rough one? I'm trying to even remember. I believe so, yeah. 2004 was the year that they uh, broke the curse. Oh. And um, did they meet up for... No, 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 I'm sorry. 2005, I believe they... I, was it 2006 the Red Sox played Houston? So, yeah, it's 2004 yeah, that the Cardinals, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. You and I might have a, a shared mutual uh, dislike of the Sox. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Mets fan. So, yeah, you know what? I really yeah, don't yeah, like yeah. them. I'm, I'm from New York, so... Yeah. I, it's expected not to like people from Boston. But I have cousins who live over there, so I have to like them, you know? <laughs> Are you, uh, is your husband uh, uh, plays video games with you? He does. Well, I mean, so in terms of with me, um, you know, we both play a lot of single player kind of stuff. I think that's kind of what he prefers to do. But really hilariously, actually during COVID, he started to get into more multiplayer stuff. So we'll play League of Legends together sometimes. But that's about it. Yeah, we don't we don't play a lot of stuff together. We kind of like our separate stuff. You know, usually like he's playing on his laptop in the living room, and I'm in here on the the gaming PC <laughs> doing stuff. So it's it's kind of funny. Like we're together, but in separate rooms, kind of doing the same thing. <laughs> What's your educational background? So a bunch of communication degrees. Studied that through undergrad, my master's, went on to get my PhD, and the PhD is when I started doing uh, video game research primarily. So yeah, I would say today I definitely consider myself a, a media studies researcher, and my focus is on the games industry. And I approach that from a lot of different angles, but it's all been grounded in sort of communication theory and like understanding the way that media shapes how we think about the world, how we interact with other people, and then how we in turn take those things and use them to create media. What you said uh, when you got your PhD is when you really wanted to focus your studies on get research for video games. Was there anything um, even before then that you wanted to say considering, you know, gaming is your hobby, gaming is part of your life, it's your love. Were you Mm -hmm. studying for anything related to video games before deciding to take this path? 
You know, I really wasn't. Um, I had known, like, since mid-undergrad that I wanted to do a PhD, and I wanted to be an academic, and I knew I wanted to study communication, and I thought maybe, like, social movements and things like that, which are still very interesting to me. But honestly, like, I just never knew that there were people who studied video games, like, for a living. And then I took a class in my master's degree with a woman. Her name is Nina Hunteman, fantastic scholar and educator. On the very first night of class, she introduced herself and offhandedly mentioned that she studied video games. And she's like, all right, open up your books, chapter one. <laughs> and I was sitting here like, I'm sorry, what? Just, <laughs> what? <laughs> Hold the phone. And... That was kind of the beginning of that. So we had a conversation and I was like, whoa, there's this whole thing that I had no idea existed. And the next, you know, finishing up my master's program, I was just trying to get my hands on every article, every book chapter, like everything I could find and immersing myself in it. And I was like, this is it, right? This is what I, I want to do. It's combining this lifelong love of video games I've right. always had with my nerdy love of research and writing and it was like the perfect thing and it came at you know just the right moment so yeah it, it was kind of happenstance <laughs> from from that perspective let me ask you this how prevalent is uh video game classes research uh you know study groups in higher education thankfully becoming a lot more common there are an increasing amount of dedicated video game studies programs cropping up more still, I'd say, at the undergraduate level than, you know, PhD, like kind of dedicated. So what you do find is a lot of you can go like what I did, right? I got a, a degree in mass communications. Right. And in PhD programs, like you kind of get to study specifically what you want beyond that, right? It's, it's pretty flexible. So just about any program will let you study video games. But they may not offer classes specifically in it. So you may have to do a little bit more kind of self-guiding. But because of the kind of recent popularity, I'd say we're kind of in like the second wave of, or the second generation of, of game studies researchers kind of graduating now. I think we're going to start to see more and more of that um, because we're seeing more and more students coming out with these kind of more general degrees, but with a game focus. So yeah, it's definitely growing. I think, you know, with to the rise of like esports clubs and stuff on college campuses, which is awesome. I know there's a push for more academic courses related to gaming. It's something that I'm working at with my institution on trying to, to roll out, you know, academic programming and things like that as well. So it's got a ways to go. There's definitely a lot more in Europe, right? I happen to know than there is here, but I see it definitely within the next 10 years becoming a lot more prominent. Why is it more prevalent in Europe than it is in the United States? I'm assuming it's because a lot of the higher educations here still look at video game as just a hobby, something not to be taken <laughs> serious. I mean, I read yeah. your pa I read your journal and you cited quite a few things from like 1987. Mm -hmm. um, and, and obviously from what you said, video games, especially, I want to say from 2009 on, and again, this is uh, mainly um, a fighting a fighting game podcast, but I always like going into different subjects. Yeah. Right around then, when the, you know, the advent of the Xbox 360 and the PS3, I always like to tell people, you know, listen, PS2 was very popular, don't get me wrong, and mm -hmm. 64 was very popular, but it wasn't until the Xbox 360 and the PS3 hit, and now we have so many, you know, we have the ability to play online games easier on console mm -hmm. that now we're going to be able to communicate more so it's you can't ignore 
how much bigger video games got during that time. I mean, look, you, you could oh, find yeah. a GameStop in almost every corner in New York City. That's how big it <laughs> oh, yeah, was. Here so yeah. it, it, I'm, I'm assuming it's because the people who are in charge of higher education institutions just still look at it as just a hobby and not something that should be taken seriously. Am I correct on that? No, I think, I think that's part of it. I think absolutely. You know, a lot of the first kind of game studies research starts to come out in the 1990s and, and very early 2000s. And a lot of that, it was just like, you know, there weren't journals for it even yet. So like those were the first people and they were posting them like on their blogs. They weren't even like <laughs> That's right. Or our, our uh, what's it called? Uh, not RSS feeds, uh, IRC feeds. Yeah, yeah, right? So things like that, like very like niche kind of personal things. There were like a couple books that came out kind of testing the waters. I think I think you're onto something, you know, talking about like the the online multiplayer stuff. I think right. actually communication, right? And like technology kind of took it beyond, oh, okay, so there's there's potential here to examine something that isn't just kids, right? Kids being the assumption, sitting at home playing a game with no, you know, purpose, right? Like, oh, maybe there's social interactions and things worth studying, right? So right, right. I feel like that kind of opened up the door to that, right? And then with it, people were like, oh, actually, there's all this other really interesting stuff too. And then unfortunately, people, as I'm sure in a fighting game podcast, you're aware, stumble into, you know, the whole video game and violence crap. Oh, right? boy. So, yeah. But that, right, is actually the thing that kind of legitimized, in a way, studying video games. Because that's what so much of the early scholarship was on. Because people were like, oh, now it's this supposedly scary thing that we should pay attention to because it's quote-unquote terrible, right? Of course, um, of course. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I think that's, you know, when you look at the history of scholarship here in the U.S., I think that's kind of the trajectory it's gone. And we're just now getting, you know, within the last 10 years for sure, kind of looking at all these other aspects of it, like studying them in terms of story and, and gaming culture and things like that more broadly. Exactly. Um, you know, you bring something up so yeah. funny because you said uh, a lot of people think, oh, man, um, you know, you do a fighting game podcast, so it's a lot of violence. Oh, man, you want to <laughs> you really want to look into that because video games are so bad. It's interesting. I'm reading a great book called uh, Masters of Doom is basically uh, the uh, making of, of the game Doom, basically, by oh. people who were there, by the two Johns for ID Software, or excuse me, id Software. I've come to find out that's how you pronounce it. So it, it, it's understandable that people would find it scary. And, of course, we all know why. You know, some of the things that you, f you see on media where, uh, oh, my God, you know, some school shootings. We know what happened in, uh, I believe it was 1993. And it was, it was all blamed on video games but i mean right. these guys didn't set out to make violent people you know right. they, they just took something like our 80s action movies and made it and made it interactable i mean for the love of god doom takes place in mars i don't think any of that stuff is going to be <laughs> happening anytime soon but it is interesting that you said that a lot of people just looked at it as oh i don't want to deal with that bad thing because all we have is just people who only think about violence but at the same time it should be researched, you know, because the thing about video games, I always like looking at it from this perspective. Yes, there are some, uh, you know, unfortunate bad things that happen with the ecosystem. But at the same time, it is such a vibrant ecosystem, excuse me, vibrant ecosystem system with all the different personalities, all the different cultures that, you know, only only video games in the last 20 years i would like to think have brought people together like that for the love of the subject you know maybe mm -hmm. comic cons as well but uh what do you think about that um is it because just it's like oh no we don't want to we, we just think it's full of like um, violent people people who only want to shoot up things 
I mean, you, you obviously are going to be looking at it from a different perspective because you're a gamer yeah. yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Well, I think that's what's so interesting and is I found that, you know, the people who grew up with video games clearly turned out fine, like us, <laughs> um, right? And so many other people I know, by the way. Yeah, like we're able to be like, you know, we, we understand what it is, right? And that it's not harmful. I think so much of that fear and judgment comes from people who have never touched a game in their life, right? Mm -hmm. And like, don't really understand what it's about. And also only think that video games are about violence, you know, and yes. there's only like one type of game when like, look at freaking Animal Crossing, like, come on, <laughs> right? Like, you know, there's there's so much else that's out there in terms of genre, in terms of stories, and some of it is, like, quite beautiful, right? It's actually, like, you oh, know, of we course. have all of these, of like, really beautiful, emotional stories now. Some of them are, are I mean, I think, again, video games are art. They, yeah, they, they're starting to be looked at as art. I yes. think we finally have gotten to a point maybe five years ago or maybe even more recent, like maybe a year, year and a half ago because of the pandemic. I guess people are, are looking at things more closely now. I mean, you and me, we, we know. Uh, hey, listen, I didn't like the game personally, Final Fantasy VII, but when that scene happened <laughs> when Sephiroth, you know, uh, off right. somebody, that, that was heart-wrenching. Yes. You yes. know, and that's the power of storytelling, which is what yeah. I think uh, it's a thing that video games always got a bad bad rap for because, like you said, all people are just looking at is the violence. You know, video games are very engaging. There's a ton of great video games out there that that their storylines are just as good as any anything Shakespeare's ever written. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is something, too, like it kind of came up in my study, you know, about like people who'd rather watch people play video games that had a good story than watch a TV show. I don't watch a whole lot of TV because I'd rather spend that time playing out a story that I'm really into, right? Than necessarily watching a story just kind of happen passively. So yeah, there's there's so much out there. I just wish everybody would just play video games like a little bit, you know, <laughs> just, to, just to see that it's so much more than what people often kind of assume. You say yourself, you're you're a teacher. Um, you have you have your students. What are their? Are, do they have the same reactions when, when you say, "Hey guys, let's come on, let's uh, start uh, dissecting a video game." Yeah, actually, it's really funny. Um, so I started last fall. I got to teach my institution's first ever video game focused class, which was a blast. Nice. Um, and so that obviously was like kids who like they play video games. They were there for it. You know, they knew what they were signing up for. It's really fun when on the first day of class in just like my, my intro to media studies class, it's not just about games, but we actually go through and we talk about all these different creative media industries in passing and video games are like towards the end of the semester. But they always find out very early on <laughs> that I'm like a huge nerd, right? And that I'm a gamer because it comes up in examples of stuff and it's, it's just funny to watch their faces because... You know, again, a lot of gender stereotypes, I think, like, stereotypes about professors, or I don't even know, but, like, um, you know, they're, they're always kind of like, oh, interesting, and um, <laughs> I just did. Unfortunately, that's just part of life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no, seriously, and, you know, it, but like, just last week, I think the last lecture in my intro class was, was on the video game industry, and there's these two guys in my room who I knew, I had them pegged as gamers all semester, you could just tell, you know, you, you can tell, and, uh, they, like, they were just so into it, like, they were just like, this is amazing, and a couple of times I'd catch them, like, looking at each other and just nodding their heads, like, bro, this is sick, <laughs> and it was just like the best like I had to keep a straight face and keep going but I was like it just gets me so excited to be like yeah like 
I wish that I had gotten these opportunities when I was their age. And I hear that all the time. People are like, man, I wish I could have taken a class like that. And I'm like, yeah, me too. <laughs> are there some students who find it silly that you guys are uh, um, studying video games? Whereas maybe, or is it because maybe, maybe they're more into like the television side of uh, communications? So I always, I used to think that would be a challenge because um, some of them are like, you know, they want to study the television industry or film and things like that. What I always do is when I start talking about video games, you know, I start out by saying, you know, when you think about a video game, we all kind of think of console and PC gaming as like the default. But mm -hmm. I actually open up that lecture by talking about mobile gaming, right? Because that has become a huge part of the global games industry, right? Over half of today's global revenue comes from mobile phone stuff. That's right. And when I talk about that, right, because I always ask them, like, how many of you are gamers? And you know, I get a few hands and I'm like, all right, let me say mobile phone games count. Now how many of you? And almost <laughs> every hand goes up. Yes. And, you know, and I'm like, well, here we go. You know, games are, are, are beyond just consoles and just PCs, you know, and, and handheld devices like, you know, Nintendo DSs and Switches and stuff. Like they're, they're on our phones, they're on tablets. Like they're such a, a part of, of everyday life in so many ways now, right? And so yes. I think like once yes. I kind of get them to understand opening their minds to what a video game is, they're like, oh, okay, actually, this is kind of cool. And I, I get students, you know, every once in a while, I get one who will take my video game course, who's never played a video game and just like, wanted to know more about them. And those are my favorite <laughs> kinds of students. Well, because you so have, cool. you, you, you have a nice clean mind, you know, who probably never, like you said, never has played a video game in their lives. Although, like you said, it's kind of hard not to considering exactly. how ingrained video games are in today's society. And so, so you, yeah, like you said, those must be your favorite students because it's like, here's somebody who, okay, they're, they're very aware video games are a thing, but to the level that we know about it, it's very exciting to, you're yeah. going to be able to open up their minds, correct? Yeah, no, it's the best. And at the end of the semester, you know, they're like, oh my gosh, I tried playing a couple games after taking this class. Like, I think they're really cool now. And I just love that. That's like the coolest feeling in the world to me. <laughs> When did you join the eSports network, uh, research network? Or better so, yet, better question, yeah. how did you guys get together? Did you hear about them? Um, take us through that. Give us some uh, background on, on this uh, network of people. Yeah, totally. So the eSports research network, we're an international collaboration of scholars right, all over the world um, who are interested in, in doing and talking and promoting uh, you know, eSports research. Um, and it started out with a gathering of a couple individuals in Europe who had gone to a conference in 2019 or 2018, I think is when they had started this conversation. I was not present for that. It was a, it was a European affair, but um, they started having a conversation at this conference about like, you know, let's build, build some kind of network, right? Let's create some kind of community that spans continents, right? And unites scholars from all over the world and promotes this scholarship that we think is really important. And that in some places, right, academically is still like fighting for legitimacy, right, all these kinds of things. And we also wanted to, you know, work with, with industry partners, right, and actually like have some tangible effect on how the industry functions. And so that had started. Uh, and then in 2020 was kind of when we got the ball officially sort of rolling. I was approached by one of the members who was involved in kind of the early discussions about, you know, let's create this group. And uh, they were looking to form a, a board, like an executive board. And so I think there were nine of us, I think there are still nine. And I was asked to be on the, the sort of inaugural board for that. So I joined up uh, as a board member 
Um, and we've been going, yeah, I think 2020 was our official year where we like got our contract or, or our um, constitution officially like legitimated by the German government, which is <laughs> wow, the German complicated. Government. Yeah, like way more complicated than we do here. Yeah. So we're, we're officially headquartered in, in Germany where our chair of the organization resides. You said it mainly really started in Europe. What is it about Europe that they, they have taken video game research more seriously than the U.S.? It's a really interesting question because I feel like the early game study scholars here were starting around the same time as a lot of the, the kind of big name European scholars were working. I think a lot of it has to do with just sort of the higher ed approach to material there like in general, not even specific to games. I think there's much more of a daringness to sort of embrace new things and really dive into technology than even what we have here. I find that like programs in, in other parts of the world are often a lot more kind of specific and like niche and creative, whereas we're a bit more generalist, I think a lot with our degree programs. And I think, you know, esports, a lot of the major esports organizations and tournaments you know, I'm thinking of like DreamHack, for instance, are European institutions. And while we do have a presence here, you know, I mean, a lot of the North American teams also right. aren't as historically competitive either, right? So <laughs> there's just, I don't know, there's just more of an esports and gaming culture there and a willingness from institutions of higher learning to embrace those things at a faster rate than we have here. It, it's interesting. Like, this is something we're, we're still kind of teasing out to be honest like why is, is it so different <laughs> is it is it more along the line like we already mentioned that the institutions over there and you said it yourself they're quicker to adapt things they're quicker to see what's what moves society whereas over here a lot of the institutions here just still look at it only as a hobby up until now is that what it is or or well i'm assuming that's exactly what it is yeah no i think that's a big part of it and i'm also just thinking about like think about it not in a vacuum. I'm thinking about like the funding of higher education, right? Like here we are so tuition driven. Yes. And I feel like schools in the US, like we're only gonna do things that make sense financially, right? So esports, collegiate esports is a huge thing here, right? The collegiate yes, yes, it is. is actually bigger here than it is in Europe, weirdly. So they're like ahead of us in terms of esports academics. We're the ones like creating these college teams, like they're I don't know, bunnies reproducing. It's kind of insane. And I, and I think it's because schools like five years ago were like, oh, like so, like one school did it and they had a proof of concept and they see it now as a recruiting tool for students. And so it's a money maker. It's a money generator. So now in the last five, six years, you have colleges all over the country are like scrambling to figure out how to start esports teams and esports programs. Whereas of they course. didn't give a crap about it six years ago when they didn't think it was a moneymaker. And I don't think Europe has to be concerned with that as much. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's uh, pretty sad you put it that way. Uh, you know, if anybody if anybody pays attention to anything over here, we you know, college sports is a big business in this country. Yeah. It's uh right. it's scary how much money is funneled through those institutions. I mean, LSU for anybody who doesn't, you know, pay attention, I'll just let them know right now. They just hired a coach for I believe 10 years, 160 million dollars. That's the coach. That's crazy. 
Yeah. You know, so yeah, co- co- collegiate sports and high school sports, and I would know because my nieces play basketball. Yeah, high school sports and you know junior junior sports. It's big business here. It's it's utterly insane. And you mentioned esports exactly. I mean, some uh, sure we may have some things like the Overwatch League, which is a quote unquote pro league. But even before those players get there, and that's this is just one example, collegiate collegiate esports is on the rise. It's ridiculous how much you know they're getting bigger now. Is it all over the country? No, of course not. But right. obviously, the obvious um, pockets like New York City, big places like Boston, where you're at, I'm sure maybe St. Louis has a few. It's uh, it's pretty scary, you know, how much bigger it's going to eventually get. Now, quick question regarding the eSports Research Network. The name itself. Now, do you guys only do your research on eSports? Because we're going to get into your into your journal here. <laughs> Obviously, yeah. your journal took a look at people who are, by all means, casual players or even not players themselves. But, mm-hmm. the, but your group in general, do they only look at eSports for the research or do they venture off into other things regarding the gaming community? Yeah, I think it depends on the individual. You know, we've got a couple hundred members in, in the, the network currently. I think it varies. I think there's some people, like, their primary thing is esports. You know, I publish here and there on esports, but most of my previous published work is in kind of gaming more broadly. So it really depends on the individual, but I think, you know, so much of it um, is interconnected, right? And especially when we're talking about spectatorship, like, there are obvious linkages to esports with regards to that. How happy were you when they asked you to come into the group? I mean, you love video games. You uh, <laughs> you did uh, video game studies and everything. How big of a, oh, yeah. my God, was this yeah, for it you? Was, it was kind of crazy because at the time, so we just uh, added a new member. He will be our second North American member. But for a while, for a year, it was just me <laughs> as, as, <laughs> as the token North American, which is actually really funny because we also have an Australian on the board. So whenever we have meetings... They are at 7 a.m. Eastern time, which is like 10, 10 o'clock, I think, Australian time. And then it's like the middle of the afternoon for the Europeans because it's like the best time that kind of works for all of us. <laughs> so it's like kind of nutty getting us all together, you know, in one one meeting just because of the time zones. But no, it's been it's been really fun. They're an awesome group. Um, I've made so many great connections through them. So it's been I'm so glad that I was given that opportunity for sure. And you know what what better time you said 2020 was when you guys officially got together you got your license what better time and i'm not talking about the pandemic i'm talking about just the what 20 20 previous years of uh all this uh survey put together all this data put together especially like i said in between 2007 and and up until now since online gaming is so prevalent and it's it's been covered quite a lot you guys couldn't get you, you couldn't pick a better time to get together because like we had mentioned before you uh cited a lot of like um studies from 1987 from a lot of uk magazines a lot of uk publications i don't know if some of them there are from the u.s or maybe from australia as well but now since the internet has gotten so big i'm pretty sure finding data is much easier compared to back then oh yeah So let's get into your paper here. Again, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because this is, I've always found this to be such an interesting subject. Just the idea of spectatorship. You know, um, Twitch TV, um, which obviously you pointed out here and a lot of people know, was basically a a spinoff from Justin TV. I mean, I remember watching people playing video games back even when Justin TV was around. Right, right. So what made you you know, want to write this journal? What made you want to do this research specifically? Yeah, 
I mean, so I've, I've been interested in the whole phenomenon of gaming spectatorship for a while. Back when I was a PhD student in like 2014, 2015, so that was right when Amazon had acquired Twitch, right? I think that was 2015, the year they like rebranded. I believe they did, yes. Yeah, yeah. So it was like the hot thing, right? And all my students, Gen Z kids, were like watching it and talking about it all the time. I was teaching a, a, a 120-student course oh, uh, on video games. Yeah, it was a big <laughs> class. Um, it was awesome. I loved it, though. And so... I was like, you know, when they were coming there, there's always like, they sit down, it's kind of loud, kind of getting things together. And so I, I would pull up a Twitch stream before class and just like pull it up on the projector, you know, sorry about my dog, <laughs> pull, pull it up on my projector, you know, and just, just for like some, some background, right? Yeah. And so I put it on, you know, if we were going to talk about, you know, fighting games or something that day, right, we might like put some fighting game stream on or something just to like give them a taste, especially, you know, because students may have different degrees of familiarity with certain genres, right? So, like, we're going to talk about RPGs. Here's what an RPG looks like, that kind of thing. And I didn't really, like, get it. <laughs> like, I'd be like, okay, this Twitch <laughs> thing, they seem to really like it. And they'd get so into it. And so being being an academic, you know, I started asking them why. I was like, so what is it about this, like, that's so engrossing, right? And uh, I kept coming back, sounding like such an old person, but I was like, but wouldn't you rather, like, just play the game? <laughs> Isn't that more fun? And they'd be like, no, I mean, sometimes, but it's also about all these other things. And I was really curious in what those other things were. Were so, you, were you asking, yeah. I'm sorry, were you asking them based on the fact that you yourself, a gamer, would, would much rather have the controller in your hands and you're watching the TV to see your character's movements? Or yes, were you exactly. just... Okay, you were looking at it that way. You weren't yeah, looking at no, it. It's like, exactly. oh, I don't know what was, this is. I was looking at this. No, that's an excellent question. No, I was looking at this as someone who grew up in the 90s, pretty much, playing video games. Like, YouTube came out, what, like my senior year in high school? So, 2006, like, yes. That whole spectatorship culture, it, it existed, but it existed in living rooms, right? Spectatorship yes. was me sitting down with my brother and sister, right? It was different. And so to me, it was like... I didn't understand. I was like, what do you get out of watching some stranger on a screen play these games, right? Exactly. I was basing this off of what I would rather be doing. Honestly, you're like me, man. Uh, sometimes <laughs> sometimes I don't get it. Uh, and Now, mind you, I'm, I'm not saying this to offend the guys who run the stream for the team that I'm part on. Because they, they uh, do a lot of production for a lot of the big fighting game tournaments here in the Northeast. And they've actually also gone plenty of times out to Las Vegas for the big... Uh, world championship uh the evolution tournament oh nice but, yeah, yeah but I, i'll be honest with you i i don't get it uh, even <laughs> even to this day i don't get it i understand it because yeah, it's the yeah. same thing with me like uh everybody knows I, I love watching um older cartoons uh 90s cartoons are my thing but it's interesting that nobody ever asked me why that why do you watch that like why what is this so interesting about that for you whereas now do i go and verbally ask people what it is about video game uh video game uh, spectatorship that really like they love because there's a, obviously quite a big difference between watching a looney tunes episode and right. watching somebody play a video game one is very interactive the other one you're just sitting down and watching yeah exactly so it, it's it, again it's such a fascinating um it's such a fascinating thing for me and i could imagine i mean when, when you decide to go after a subject like this what is the procedure so generally, I sit there and I say, okay, there's something weird and I'm interested in understanding, you know, why it's happening. 
So in this case, right, it was like, I want to understand, well, with this particular study, right, there was that other level. So my students, for the most part, right, were gamers watching other gamers. But I had been hearing stories about people who weren't really gamers also watching people, right? And that, to me, was like this extra level of what? <laughs> The, so the first step, right, is like, I, I have this idea and there's this thing I want to explore. And then I ask myself, what is the best way to get at an answer to this, right? To try to answer this question. And so, you know, in, in media research, we have sort of a variety of different what we call methods, right? Or approaches that people would use uh, when conducting a project. And so a lot of my work tends to involve interviews. So, you know, sitting down and having one-on-one -on -one conversations with people with a uh, sort of a list of questions that I generate to get at these things, right? Like literally just asking them straight up, like, why do you do these things, right? Tell me about it. Usually kind of uh, building those questions based off of expertise, based on um, things that people have published in the past on like similar topics, right? So I talk, for example, about, you know, spectatorship with traditional sport quite a bit because there are some parallels between researchers who have yes, studied yes, that. Yes, yes, there is. Yeah, and people who are studying... Uh, video game spectatorship, right? So you kind of sit down and you say, all right, what am I trying to get at? How do I want to go about getting uh, answers to that question? What kinds of similar things have been done that can kind of help me think through that process? And then you got to go out and you got to find the people <laughs> you need to talk to. And that can be the most challenging part. And I'm actually so, glad you mentioned that because I was going to yeah. be my next thing. In this journal, you said you um, you got in contact with 27 people. Now, mind yeah. you guys, understand one thing. Yes, that is a very minuscule number compared <laughs> to the gaming world. But the fact of the matter is 27 people is 27 people. And the interesting thing about these 27 people, as you, met, as you called them, just watchers. These are people <laughs> yeah. who at most... They play maybe, what, 10 minutes of video games a, a week? These are right, people exactly. who 100% just spectate video games. These are not people who are you gonna, you're going to go home to, hey, let's go have some pizza, and they're there like already playing video games. Oh, cool. <laughs> Let me turn this thing off. Let's go out. These are people who otherwise would just, at least at least that's the impression that I got. They are, you know, they're very, very, very casual viewers of video games, yeah. very casual viewers of, you know, interaction with video games. Why is it that you targeted that group of people? Yeah, yeah, no, this is great. Um, man, you did a really good close reading of this. I would not be doing my job if I didn't. Well, it's funny because a lot of times as researchers, like we get asked questions and we're like, I don't remember. That was like so long ago when I did this. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. Um, no, that's awesome. Yeah, so my I specifically wanted to look at, yeah, what I called just watchers. So again, like we, we had seen a little bit of research in the last handful of years, the last like five years, on why people who would call themselves gamers might watch Twitch, right? And a lot of the research says like, oh, well, you know, it's like wanting to improve at the game, right? Like I might tune in to watch a League of Legends pro play a particular champion because I want to learn how to play a champion that well, right? So some of it is like, it's learning and modeling behavior, right? right, right. Some of it is like socializing with other players, you know, there. So, so we had a bit of research on why gamers would do these things, right? Or, or one of my favorites is like, deciding whether or not they want to buy a game or not. You know, like I'm going to watch someone play it and say like, that looks cool, I'm going to go buy it. But I had talked to a few people who said they don't play video games, but they weren't even just casual watchers, right? Some of them were like legit serious watchers. They subscribe, they donate, <laughs> like they're really into Twitch, but they don't play video games. And I was like, 
but why? <laughs> right? Because like you're not you're not looking to improve at a game. You're not looking to you know make a purchase decision. So what the heck do you get out of this? Right? And if it's just entertainment, like why wouldn't you just go watch TV? Like what is going on here? Right? And and nobody had had asked that question before, like in a, in a research context. Right? I see. That's interesting to me. Because yeah. hardcore Twitch subscribers, you know, donating to players, uh, donating to streamers, yet they don't play video games. Now, yeah. th- th- that's interesting. <laughs> you know, like, the, the, the other ones, the other ones I could understand. The ones right. that only watch it, but it's just a passive thing for them, where yeah. it's like, you know, I wouldn't even make a login account for, for Twitch. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, like, I know hardcore gamers who don't even subscribe, right? They just, like, you know, they'll watch the ads or whatever. But these are people who, like, love what some people on the platform are doing and, like, want to financially support them because they're such avid consumers of it. Is it because, again, it's the interactiveness of it? There are some people who have uh, Twitch channels, you know, some of the most watched people who, if you ever paid attention to anybody, and the majority of them are League of Legends players, other, you know, high-profile content creators, the overwhelming majority of them, sometimes, if you realize they really don't even play the video games, they're just there, okay, they're just doing Let's Play, but is it because of the interactiveness of the ability that Twitch gives you that television does not give you? Like, for example, in Twitch, there's obviously a chat. There's things, you know, super chats or where maybe the people who are doing that just get off on the fact that, hey, this high-level player, this high-level content creator, this well-known person within the gaming community may shout me out. Is, is it because of that? And that's why mm-hmm. people are so, they, they love Twitch as much as people who love television and movies do? Yeah, so that's, that's, a, that's part of it, right, for some people. And that's funny because that's actually a separate research project I'm, like, working on right now. Nice, very um, nice. That whole parasocial interaction thing. But so that is for some people, right? Like, uh, there is research that, and again, they've always looked at gamers. They've never specified, you know, non-players. But, yeah, for many viewers, the sociality part is, is big. You know, they come on, they interact with people, getting the shout-out from your favorite streamer feels really cool. But we do know that there are a ton of lurkers, people who just hang out and chat, you know, or, or watch a stream. Yes, of course. But never participate in chat either, right? And a lot mm-hmm. of my just watchers, actually, because I'd ask them, like, oh, is it a social thing? And they'd be like, eh, kind of, but not really. Like, most <laughs> of them didn't really talk in chat. So I'm like, why are you here? <laughs> right? And it's it the same thing. Uh, other really things. It's the same thing with forums. There's a lot of people who lurk forums. You know, oh. just uh, you know, uh, sinking in, uh, drinking in all that information that forums take. Perfect example is uh, Shuruken.com, the old website. The it was one of the biggest fighting game websites there is. Yes, there was a lot of trolls online, and anybody listening to this should know what trolls are. But uh, on that website. That website was full of a ton of information. We're talking about data, frame rates, everything that, you know, us video game nerds will understand about. And there were a lot of people who have who have admitted, they eventually came out many years later saying, it's like, yeah, well, I, I just never bothered bringing in a login because why should I do that? I'm not, it's more like a little bit of a social thing. Maybe they just don't want to interact with people. All they want to interact with is just the information readily available. In your studies, did you see that was the case with the people who uh, basically only wanted to be just watchers and uh, nothing else? 
Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that's the case. Um, like, they were cool to just kind of hang out, maybe watch other people's interactions and chat, but a lot of them were just, like, there for the streamer, right? Like, they either really liked that person, or, again, a lot of them really liked the game that was being played and really enjoyed just, like, watching someone else do it because they didn't have to. Again, for, for reasons that I get into the paper, right, all the things about the game that was really enticing to them without them having to actually play it themselves. <laughs> Of course. Um, when you chose these 27 individuals, how did you go about it? Uh, how did you reach out to them? Did you go to any offline events? Did you did you scour internet forum boards? Did you go on Twitch TV, YouTube gaming? How was it that you were able to find these 27 individuals who wanted to take part into in, into this scientific research? Yeah, no. So this is this is a great question. So this was a man, this was a 2020 project, actually. Oh, so this is very recent. Yeah, yeah, this was all recent. Yes. It just came out, I think, got published in January of this year. Yes, it did. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I was writing it, you know, um, and doing the data collection in, like, spring. So actually, like, right around when COVID was just hitting and then kind of, you know, doing the revisions and, and everything, kind of typing it up, submitting it kind of all through last year, probably last fall. Man, it feels like <laughs> so much longer. But anyway... Yeah, so, so there weren't a lot of in-person events happening, actually, at the time. So for this paper, I did uh, completely online recruitment and online interviews with people. Again, normally I would do, you know, face-to-face -face stuff, but, but a lot of times I'm doing online stuff just to get people from all over. I think I put out a couple calls specifically asking for people who really like to watch Twitch and don't play video games and... I put that out, I think, on, on Twitter and maybe a few uh, sort of gaming-focused groups that I'm part of, and, and people just kind of reshared it, you know, just kind of retweeted it and just kind of spread that way. Did you get a big reaction? Did you get a lot of people who wanted to do this, or were they very, uh, oh, no, hold on, I don't want to be part of this because maybe, you know, this information will get out that I was part of this group and, you know, we're going to get some backlash? What, what was the reaction? No, it was really enthusiastic. I gotta say, when uh, I think uh, doing video game research, I'm really blessed because whenever I put out these calls, um, and I, I do a lot of research about like gender and race and stuff like that, and perspectives that don't often get talked about in games. So when I ask for people to share those experiences, people are so stoked <laughs> to, to be able to talk about video games with somebody who will listen. I'm like, yeah, we're gonna do like an hour, is that cool? And they're like, heck yeah, we could go, you know, sometimes we can go for like two hours. So, like, these people were all really excited. Like, they're always really curious. Like, oh, I want to know more about this. Like, they always ask to, like, see the study when it comes out, you know, because they're interested in, like, what I find. So, no, it's, it's always a lot of enthusiasm. People, people love talking about video games. Oh, no, yeah. Especially now for people our age. Yeah. Um, even if you, like, I'm a perfect example. When I used to work at one of my previous jobs, I was, I was a much bigger gamer back then than I am now. You know, still a big gamer, but not as much. Even back then, I could go inside my that previous job I did, and I would just bring up something. Hey, let me try to find somebody. And you'd be surprised how much more people nowadays open up about wanting to play video games. Now, is it the yeah. entire staff? No, of course not. But <laughs> it is always fun when you find somebody that has the same hobbies as you, you know? Totally, totally. A few things that caught my eyes regarding the uh, your paper. Uh, again, you're using a few things from the 1980s, uh, specifically leisure constraints, antecedent, and intervening. How, how were you able to use this regarding your paper for video games? Yeah, I love this. All right, so leisure studies, I discovered this when I was doing my, my PhD dissertation. Um, it's a whole field of scholarship that is about people studying 
how people use their free time. And I was like, what? That's a thing. <laughs> like, you know, just like people said about video game research, like, what? That's a thing. And I was like, huh, that's really interesting. So I came across all their scholarship um, in the 1980s that was talking about what they were calling barriers to leisure. Uh, and, and yes, there's antecedent and, uh, and intervening variables, right? And right, so, right. Yeah, so basically what it is, is these like barrier constraints to leisure are anything that prevent you from engaging in some kind of leisure activity that you would otherwise want to participate in, right? So like an intervening constraint would be something that kind of comes along and derails your plans. So usually like an external kind of kind of barrier. So like money, for example, you know, like I always exactly. wanted to do, yeah, I always wanted to do martial arts when I was like growing up and there, A, was like one place in my hometown <laughs> that offered it, but it was, it was <laughs> prohibitively expensive. Like we couldn't right. afford it. And so I never got to do it, right? So that would be an example of an, an intervening variable, right? Coming in, kind of wrecking those plans antecedent constraint is something that kind of preempts all of that so it's usually an internalized kind of barrier these are usually cognitive or psychological so maybe anxiety or fear about participating in something yeah, <laughs> yeah right, now i could give you a perfect example growing up I wanted to do amateur wrestling. Unfortunately, from my school, they didn't have an amateur wrestling club. However, a school across town did, and it required me to basically jump on a different school bus from my school to go to the other one. My mother did not want me to do any of that because her fear was, oh, you're not really doing that because chances are, you're in reality, you're probably just trying to go join a gang because unfortunately here in New York, Spanish mothers, because I'm Spanish for whatever reason, <laughs> had this weird idea that their boys, all they wanted to do was just get into gangs. I have no idea why, but that was just the case. Oh, bless her. <laughs> yeah, well, I missed yeah. out on my amateur wrestling dream, so that's oh. what it is. <laughs> but anyway. Right. <laughs> well, I missed out on my martial arts dreams. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, a lot of times antecedent stuff can be, yeah, it can be fear, it can be anxiety. Um, there's really interesting research about, you know, people having, for example, women, you know, maybe being more self-conscious about doing about doing things like martial arts or, or yoga or stuff because there's like so much emphasis on the body and like people looking at your body and that's kind of uncomfortable. Right. So like that for some people, it becomes a deterrent, right? And so they say, I'm not going to participate in that kind of leisure thing. And so I found this really interesting. And when I was a grad student, I used this in my dissertation, this sort of area of research and was like combining it with scholarship on video games to talk about, uh, in my dissertation, it was about women and barriers to access in video games throughout different points in their life because it was like a very gendered thing, right? And, and still is in many ways. You know, it's um, amazing and, that you yeah. cite all these uh, 1980s, 1990s uh, researches and you couldn't have basically married two different subjects, you know, the 1980s, <laughs> 1990s studies. And again, they're studying maybe our parents at the time. Whereas, yeah. you know, you're studying now, you're taking their research and putting it together into a much bigger gaming ecosystem than there was back then, which is utterly amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, wow, when you put it that way, it sounds pretty great. <laughs> no, but, um, no, I mean, that was, you know, it was the 80s was the first time people were really starting to do that kind of research in leisure studies is when they said, hey, actually... You know, not everybody has equal access to leisure and, and specifically gender was the thing, right? They were looking at like, 
in in married couples you know between a, a man and a woman they were saying like oh men tend to have more leisure time you know the women do because they're doing like housework and that kind of stuff you know like the 50s and 60s especially but even today right there's still still some of that uh disparity. right right yeah so that's why there's so much of that like you know 80s and 90s research is because that's like the foundational scholarship right on that of topic of the time um but yeah it is kind of cool that you're able to take something like that and apply it to something you know hyper digital right in the 2010s i think that is a really neat observation <laughs> you know there was an interesting quote here um that you put in uh, one of the sections is specifically video game culture mm-hmm. it's a it's an interesting quote because it says here in uh, 2012 uh somebody by the name of kirkpatrick states being an authentic gamer involves being cool liking the right music and appreciating the intensity of gameplay. Did the people that you uh, that you brought in for this study, did they all agree with that? Because I'll be honest with you, one, that, I ain't gonna lie, that one kind of took me a little bit of like, huh, I never really thought about it that way. Well, then mm-hmm. again, I, I, I just never really think about these kind of things. Is that a perception of what people who don't play video games think of gamers? I think it's, so what this is, right, is he's, they're, I actually don't know their gender, but um, this person is, is writing about sort of like gaming culture, right? And I think how certain gamers think about themselves, right? It's okay, like, okay. Yeah, yeah, right? That idea of like what's a real gamer and what's not. You know, you get like the hardcore, hardcore bros, right, who say, <laughs> oh, you know, Animal Crossing's not a real game, right? Phone games aren't a real game. So to be like cool, to be a, an authentic gamer it means like you've got to like the right kind of games, you know, and what are the, what are even the right kind of games? <laughs> you know, like, no, exactly. Uh, I mean, video yeah. games in general, we, we like, we all love video games, but the fact of the matter is, especially for what you do, there are so many different subsets of the gaming culture. Yeah. I mean, you know, a, a lot of us in the fighting game community, we love fighting games. Yes, we love playing games like Overwatch. You know, a lot of us grew up playing Counter-Strike. A lot of us played RPGs. But our main thing is fighting games. You yeah. know, and it's sort of rare that you see somebody cross over into another genre. But at the end of the day, we're all we're all gamers. And again, that, again, that one just threw me a little bit off guard just because of the whole uh, liking the right music and appreciating the intensity of gameplay. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And so again, I'm not saying like I agree with that, right? Like, yeah. you know, but he's he's saying that's kind of like how the culture often acts. And, uh, you know, that was one of the things that kind of scared off a lot of people in my study, right? A lot of people were like, I don't know if I am a quote unquote real gamer, right? So I don't know <laughs> if like, I should be playing these things. So instead, I'm just gonna watch somebody play, right? So it's, it has this like interesting social effect on people, right? That's actually of course, an of course. barrier, right? It was an example of that. You know, it's interesting you bring that up because it, it really is interesting. Just the idea that a lot of people are turned off by gaming culture because, mm. uh, oh my God, there's a lot of sexists there. There's a lot of people who are against women, against uh, you know, who are a lot of a lot of people who are very racist. They're against some cultures. Yeah. But again, it goes back to what I was saying. Video games in general are it's such a huge ecosystem. There's plenty of different things and it, it uh, different people, different um, you know cultures, just everything. Yeah. But it, it's it, I always found it interesting that it's always been the vocal minority 
who gets the most attention. Because a lot of people who go to these events, and I'm only taking it from a fighting game community standpoint, yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of people go there to meet friends. I mean, by all means, these are the new arcades. You go spend a weekend there, you're, you're enjoying the same hobby as the majority of people, but it always seems that like that small minority of people, of gamers, of uh, you know people, who may, maybe some people who don't even play video games, they just go over there to try to start trouble. It's always the ones that we end up talking about. Would I be correct in that? Yeah, no, I definitely think you're right. Um, I think increasingly, if you look at the data, those that vocal contingent, right, that's trying to like gatekeep games from people, yes. aren't even the majority of, of players anymore, right? Gaming has diversified so much. I mean, yes, again, it has. talking about talking about indie games and, and phone games becoming so popular, like the the player community is just so much more diverse than it used to be. So yeah, but I think we we still hear about that. <laughs> that loud, obnoxious group that's trying to keep it from changing. What are some other things that uh, you're just watchers, the people that you uh, in the the people that you researched and interviewed for this uh, journal? What are what were some other other things that they explained to you that they just didn't want to get into the gaming culture? What were some of the yeah. other things that scared them? What were some of the other turnoffs besides? Unfortunately, I hate to say it, besides some of the obvious as a. Uh, the gaming world has been put up, up front. I mean, for the love of God, sometimes Congress actually has to talk about it, the whole Gamergate thing. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like outside of that stuff, what are some of the other things that they express to you as to why they only want to be just watchers? Is it because they just they know video games are like books where you have to dig through a lot of bad games to find a really good storyline mm -hmm. and they just don't have time to play, but they want to watch other people? Um, well, you know, what, what, what are some examples? Yeah, I, I love that example that you just mentioned. I don't know if anybody talked about that specifically, but that's a really good point. Like, you like books, like, it's like, oh, this is terrible. After two chapters, I'm going to quit, right? Yes. And video games are an expensive investment, which, again, is why I think people who buy them do the, like, they watch streams to decide if it's worth the money, right? Yes, um, yes. Yeah, so the Just Watchers aren't, aren't doing that. I think that's why they didn't talk about that. But so, so what I found is a lot of their Just Watching was, like, they were interested in the idea of video games, but they think of like the actual act of playing them as work, which I found like, and a bunch of them kept using that word. And so I was like, okay, when you say that they're like too much work, like what does that mean, right? And I, what I found was so fascinating. Yeah, I found this interesting. I, I loved yeah. reading this part. This was so interesting. I'm like, huh, I never so looked at it this way. Funny. Yeah, well me either, right? And it's, it's one of those things like when enough people say it, you're like, there's something interesting here I have to dig into, right? And so every time it came up and I would ask them, basically it came down to one or two, or sometimes for each of them, both of these things. It was either like, well, it's this huge time commitment, right? Like, uh, I mean, shoot, some of these games are like, what, 90, 100 hours long, you know, to get oh, things boy. Like out of them these days. It's like yes, ridiculous, yes. right? Yeah. And, and now, so mind you, like, those are the single-player games. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, I'll be the first to admit, let's be honest, a lot of people don't play Call of Duty for the storyline. <laughs> Call of Duty is the most perfect example of a summer popcorn movie where you just go and turn off your brain if, <laughs> if you're playing story mode. So let, let's just take that out of the way. Although, Call of Duty Warzone did have a good storyline, surprisingly. But we're talking about, obviously, things like RPGs, things that are ridiculously yeah. immersive, things that, uh, you know, it's a world-defining, world, world defining, um, you know, video games where every character in the game has a purpose. 
Right, right, yeah, yeah. And so a lot of them just were like, I don't have that kind of time, right? Like I work, you know, or, or especially people who had children, they're like, it's like impossible to sit down and play a single player thing. Um, so a lot of it was that. Um, but I also, something that's been really interesting to me in recent years is, you know, online multiplayer games and the time that also goes into those. Because even if they're, you oh, know, yes. they don't have a story, so it's not like, oh, it's 100 hours and I'm done. It's like, you know, again, I play a lot of League, right? And so those matches can last like, any any match can be like 45 minutes to who knows how long, <laughs> right? Depending yes. on how it's going and if my team forfeits or whatever. And it's one of those things where like, you have to have the flexibility in your schedule to build in for that, right? And like, what if it goes over like 45 minutes, you know? Like if I got kids, that's really hard for me to make work, right, in my life. You know, or even just the time of like having to learn a new game, games with steep learning curves. And again, I think of, you know, I'm a big MOBA fan, right? So like a lot of those, you know, Heroes of the Storm, League of Legends kind of stuff. But right. I think with fighting games, this is probably true as well, right? Like you have to learn the different combos, right? And you learn different oh, yeah. uh, characters abilities yes. you get really good at it like truly a mastery right that takes time yeah it's a meta uh, the meta you have to yeah. learn the what what works what doesn't work in a, a specific matchup it, it's a lot of uh it's a lot of learning that I, I know here it says a lot of your just watchers don't like the idea of a lot of like other gamers saying the whole get good the whole i don't <laughs> right, want to I, right. I, that well that's basically what's part of the work i don't want to i yes. i don't have the time to learn everything about the game i just want to sit down and play exactly. which actually brings up this question for me of the 27 people that you interviewed how many of them admitted to you I mean, maybe I forgot. Maybe maybe I pat I read it because I've read this thing like a couple of times. I guess I just forgot if I saw this part. How many of them admitted to you that they only like watching people who play single player games with no online interaction? And by that I mean like the online game, like Final Fantasy. I believe mm -hmm. fifteen is online, whereas some people only interact. Oh, no, excuse me. They only spectate on Twitch TV when it comes to professional tournaments because they want to watch the best of the best. Was there a, was there a set number of people uh, in that study group that only did one or the other? Or did they all do the same thing in the sense so that mean, they only watched? Yeah. Yeah, okay, you get what I'm saying. I think so. So you're saying like people who, who watched single player games versus like... Yeah, how many of your yeah. how many of how many of the people that you interviewed only watch stream? Uh, excuse me, only watch mm -hmm. Twitch TV in a spectating way to watch people play um, offline RPGs, yeah, uh, where yeah. where storyline was huge, and whereas where did some of those people only spectate Twitch TV because they wanted to see you know skillful players like you know maybe right. a big time MOBA tournament like the international. Or did they all just like no? We're we're just watching. It doesn't. It we don't have any any specific preference. Yeah. No. Awesome question. The vast majority, all but one, maybe two, um, definitely preferred kind of single player, more narrative focused games. They were definitely like interested in the story um, and just kind of experiencing that in kind of a chill way. One person specifically, I recall, was real like is a huge esports fan, but like doesn't really play but loves watching, like, elite players. And then I think one mentioned, like, occasionally watching some, like, highly competitive kind of stuff. But, yeah, the overwhelming majority were these, like, story-focused RPGs or action-adventure type of games. So, in it, obviously, you have 27 people. Uh, a lot of them are basically uh, around my age, uh, 38, but I believe they range from, I believe it was uh, 16 of uh, 44, I believe it was. 
Something like that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and obviously you had women in there, men in there, and you had people who identified as non-binary. Did you mm-hmm. see, Did uh, was there any difference between, uh, you know, uh, the sex of, of people that they uh, do different things spectating? Um, did the males um, only gravitate towards a certain genre? Did the females only gravitate towards a certain genre? And the non-binaries. Uh, yeah. Can you give me some research on that? Yeah, I honestly didn't really find uh, any huge differences in that. Um, and it was, a, if I recall, a pretty split, I'm trying to even remember the numbers, like a fairly even split in terms of genders. I'm just trying to, I'm like looking at my own notes here. I don't even remember. Maybe I didn't report it in here, the exact breakdown. Um, but yeah, there was nothing, it wasn't like a clear line, you know, through it or anything like that. Um, again, most of them across all genders prefer story types of games. Um, oh, there it is. 14, uh, women, nine men, four as non-binary. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so, so yeah, not in particular. And I mean, it was 27 people. It's hard to make big conclusions about those types of things. Well, that's Um, why I said earlier, I know it's a very minuscule number, but I'd imagine a lot of these people... You know, it's, I, I'm pretty sure when it comes to research papers, some people are like very apprehensive about it at first, just because it's like, huh? I mean, I, I don't know what's this person's ulterior motive. I'd imagine that's something always <laughs> hard when it comes to journalistic reviews or yeah, research. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, I, that does happen sometimes. I think. I mean, I think you know when you are talking to the people, there's a lot that you do as an interviewer to kind of build a sense of trust with that person. I do a lot of like self-disclosure, you know, and things like that to try and make them comfortable and. I think usually it comes across, you know, that I'm not trying to, like, misrepresent anything, you know, or whatever. So I think usually they're, they're pretty comfortable with it. But, um, yeah, no, nothing, nothing really gendered. It was, you know, again, I think, I think it's more about, uh, you know, the nature of watching, right, and what kinds of things mm, are, like, worth watching, I guess. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of weird. I'd actually be interested. I don't know if – I don't think I asked this question – if, like, any of my just watchers also watched, like, traditional sports, right? Like, basketball or baseball. I know the one esports guy does. He yes. talks about that in the paper. But I yes, can't remember. Yeah, it would be interesting to ask, you know, if I had gone back and asked those other people, like, you know, do you also watch sports? And, you know, if they were also, like, just watchers of sports, so to speak. Would um, it surprise because- you if the answer was no? I mean, when I uh, when I was um, deep into the FGC, when I was going for uh, tournaments, I, yeah. the only two games I ever competed in seriously was Mortal Kombat 9 and yeah. uh, Mark of the Wolves. And I do remember going down to um, some of these places down in Philadelphia, obviously here in New York, a lot of tournaments. And it seems that a lot of people, yes, they did follow traditional sports, basketball being mainly number one. But it's, it was also a split, especially for the much younger player, the much younger gamer, where basically they didn't care much for traditional sports because, like we've already established here, video games obviously just rose to such a high level where they were all over the place. Mobile games, you know, um, yeah. very, uh, very recognizable IPs like Mario Brothers also have mobile games and um, mobile phone games only. And as we all know, a lot of people these days, when they're raising their kids, all they want to do is, uh, hey, you want to make them be quiet, put a tablet in front of them. <laughs> right, right. And with a tablet, what does that come with? Obviously, video games, not you know, not traditional sports in the sense yeah. like football and basketball. So again, would it surprise you if the majority of them, if you were to ask them, they would say no? That's, that's a 
actually really interesting. And I would, I haven't seen this data, but I'd be curious to see if like overall Gen Z, you know, consumes less traditional sport than older generations, right? That would be really interesting data to kind of have to compare. So yeah, I mean, I guess, I don't know if it'd be totally surprising because I do feel like a lot of people I know who are into video games are not sports people, like even like right. our generation, right? I don't know. They were like, not to stereotype our own people, but like... Oh no, you'd be surprised. Again, at fighting game tournaments, (laughs) I talk to a lot of people who are very big into sports. And again, it's mainly basketball. I mean, we're talking about... Because remember, they grew up with guys like Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, you know, whereas me, I grew up with basketball, um, baseball, well, mainly those two, because NFL football, it took me a while to kind of understand the game, so... (laughs) I mean, I grew up with the last generation's Tom Brady, uh, you know, obviously. So, yeah, yeah, at least in the fighting game community, I know plenty of people who love sports. I think think the fighting game community is an exception to other kinds of gamers. And maybe, like, Call of Duty as its own community, right? Right. So maybe some FPS, right, and the fighting game community. I feel like, you know, I play a lot of RPGs, too. I play, like, everything, but, like, a lot of RPGs... I feel like a lot of, like, classic, like, Japanese role-playing game fans are, like, less sports-inclined because they were, like, more into, like, fantasy, you know, that kind of stuff. And now I'm just, like, stereotyping, but, like... Is it... Is I, it let, me, yeah. let, me, let me put it to you this way. <laughs> is it because the amount of time it takes to go through a, a, a role-playing game... I mean, yeah. you know, going back to Final Fantasy VII, even Final Fantasy VI, to do everything, it's like 40 to 50 hours. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. RPGs these days, I don't even want to begin to think how long they are. <laughs> Whereas somebody like who plays Doom, who plays Quake, who plays fighting games, mm. it's very simple to say, I could play for an hour, half an hour. And we're talking about, you know, people who aren't aspiring to be esports stars. It's easy for them to turn off the console and go do something else. In this yeah. case, maybe watch, you know, traditional television yeah, and yeah. watch sports. Especially, again, when you have high-profile stars like Kobe Bryant, who is all over the place. And, you know, uh, is it because of that? Because the amount of attention needed to finish off an RPG takes way more than something that's naturally... You only really play it for multiplayer online. I think that could very well be a huge part of it, right? I, I would never say, like, one thing is ever, you know, the sole reason, but I right. def- I could definitely see that being the case, right? Because, again, I was saying myself, like, you know, I like a lot of story-paced, you know, very story-focused kinds of games. Like, I like those, you know, 150-hour RPGs, actually. Right. And I think that's, again, why I don't watch as much TV as a lot of my non-gaming friends, right? So, yeah, I mean, you got to think, like, any time spent playing a video game is time not spent watching sports right or you know time watching sports is time not spent playing a video game so that very well could be a connection what was the hardest part of this research Ooh, the hardest part of this and any research like this when you're doing interviews is you sit down and you conduct you know so in this case 27 you know hour hour and a half long interviews and you record them all and you sit down at the end and you're going back and you just like listen through them all and take notes And you're trying to take all these different bits and pieces and piece them together into like a coherent narrative, right? (laughs) Like to to actually write the paper, right, is the hard part. Because, you know, you've got like all these ideas and some things are connected and you're trying to like bridge them all together. Like that's the challenge, right? It's the fun part, but it's also the part that like can be really frustrating and, and difficult. 
and takes takes some practice, right, years of experience. To it makes you knock your head across the table because you said it yourself. You're like, <laughs> why is it that you're doing this? Why yeah. is it that you love spectatorship yet you don't want to pick up the controller and do it yourself? Yeah, yeah. So, I, again, I think, like, eventually that excitement of, like, this is so cool and I've got all this cool information, right, and then having to, like, synthesize that information and actually have it on paper make sense to people who aren't inside my brain, right, and can't read my mind. Yeah, that's the exciting and also really, really challenging part. When you release a paper like this, uh, who mainly reviews? Is it your peers within the eSports Research Network or do you maybe let some of your students, um, you know, use it in, in your classroom? So when you send off an article to a academic journal, it goes through a peer review process, but peer not being like necessarily the eSports research folks. Um, it would be, it could be any, any game study scholar who, you know, in this case, probably some other people who would do streaming research. So, so journals try to match up an article. It's all anonymous, right? So nobody, like my name would not be on it at the time. And uh, it goes out to an anonymous team of two or three other scholars who have expertise in that area. And they go through and they comment on it and tell you, you know, this makes sense. And, you know, maybe change this part and things like that. And sometimes that goes back and forth a few times, you know, back and forth making some revisions. And then once they're satisfied that it's like in a good place, it gets published. But then, yeah, after things are published, I'll sometimes, you know, I don't often assign my own stuff because I feel weird about it. But, <laughs> you know, I'll assign like other people's articles in my classes or like actually a, a friend of mine just told me she assigned this piece to one of her media studies classes. And they just read it a couple of weeks ago. And she okay. messaged me on, on Twitter and said they were all like really excited to read it because they could see themselves in it. And to me, that's always like the coolest comment. But yeah, so that's kind of what the process is like. Did you manage to get the answer that you were looking for? Yeah, I think so. I mean, to me, like, research is never really done, right? Like, you know, you answer these questions, and then it's always like, okay, what next, right? Like, based on what we've now learned about these Just Watchers, you know, where do we kind of go from here? What other questions does this raise? But yeah, I do think, you know, these 27 conversations I had gave me enough of a glimpse for now into what is going on in here, right? Like, I, I did get some answers to why these people are doing this this seemingly weird thing, and you're like, oh, actually, it's not that weird after all. This makes a lot of sense when you get down to, you know, <laughs> the reasons behind it, right? So, yeah, I feel pretty satisfied. <laughs> is there any chance we're going to see a follow-up later on um, regarding this paper, or do you think this is a subject that you uh, did enough with this uh, where you basically put it out there where people could uh, see and read and maybe hopefully they'll... They'll, um, you know, they'll, they'll see themselves in it. Kind of like how you said the, your yeah. students, or excuse me, the, uh, your other, your friends, uh, students, um, you know, they want to look at themselves like, oh, I can't wait to read this. You know, maybe I could relate. Yeah, yeah. No, um, so it's funny, funny you mentioned that because I'm in the process of, of writing a book kind of based on this topic. So taking some, doing some additional interviews with even more people, kind of expanding some of this because they only give you like, what what is this 15 pages that's oh god like with sources so like 14 pages to like explain you know this whole study that you did and so i'm I'm actually working on doing a book length version of this um that'll probably be a couple years <laughs> before so that's usually a long a much longer process but i also want to keep doing uh more studies on spectatorship because i think there's right. you know it's the streaming industry is so in interesting. And again, like five, six years ago, I didn't get it. I like was like, what are these kids doing? Like, what's the point of this? <laughs> and like, you know, through having conversations with them and doing research like this, I'm like, oh, 
Like, I understand it, right? And it's funny, because, like, a year after I started teaching that class, like, I subscribe to some Twitch people, right? Like, I make donations and stuff. So, like, I... I've become one of them, right? And I think that's really cool. So I, yeah, I see a lot more work on this area, you know, being done. And you know, um, streaming in general is so huge. Obviously, it's uh, 2021. We're about to usher in 2022. And we can only obviously expect streaming is just going to get bigger. You know, and um, obviously we're talking about Netflix, uh, other things like that. But video game, video game streaming in general is so huge. And we've seen it grow right before our eyes. I mean, I, I believe I've heard rumblings of uh, Netflix wanting to get into it as well. I mean, would it surprise anybody? With, with it being so big and it just being so immersive, I, I believe you pointed out that YouTube, uh, and this, this shouldn't surprise anybody, video game, the, the topic video games in YouTube is possibly the biggest topic there is, the biggest, you know, genre of videos that... that populates that website with you know with 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 your research done how much are you expecting for just you know just watchers to grow because Mm. we i look at it from a traditional sense like you said um tv you sit down and a lot of people still do that yes i understand um tv numbers have been going down Mm. i wouldn't want to say they will go down steadily since 2000 but they are going down with streaming with streaming stuff being available as much as they are but did you have an idea of how much just spectatorship just from the just from the perspective of the non-player who likes watching video games? Did you get any idea of how much is going to grow within the next maybe five or ten years? Yeah, I mean that's really interesting to think about because um, I you know I can't speak to exactly like I don't think they're they're obviously not the majority of people on Twitch right or on YouTube. Um, I no, of course are, not. No, you know, yeah, yeah, but. I get the suspicion, right, that there's more of them than you would expect. Like, I was, you know, again, surprised. Like, yeah, I talked to 27 people, but I think there's hundreds, maybe thousands more out there, right? So I think it's it's interesting, right? Like, if you have this information now and you start to think, you know, if I'm a video game streamer, do I maybe start to adapt things about my stream that, you know... I don't know, engage that type of viewer, right? Like, it, once you realize that, like, right, hey, right. I may be not just, you know, entertaining gamers, but I'm entertaining a whole bunch of people, right? I don't know, that might that might open up new possibilities, new types of streams, and then continue to draw in an even larger audience. Like, if Twitch becomes, you know, not the gaming site or whatever, right? I think it's still very much is like yeah yeah there's cooking right and like just chatting and other stuff too but it's still very much like a gaming centric platform but yeah who knows i i definitely think there's more space and more potential for that particular kind of audience to keep growing no definitely um you know that number just keeps growing and growing especially now um it seems that and maybe this is just me talking i i like to look at things from the outside I always like to look at it. It's going to keep growing based off the fact that a lot of people who are just pure gamers, you know, I know plenty of people who married others, uh, who their significant others are just as big a gamers as they are. And they're bringing kids, they're starting families with video games being the number one cultural thing for them. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of people calling their kids, um, you know, giving them names after video game characters. So that <laughs> right. that's, I'm pretty sure that's just going to keep growing and growing. And because again, video games, where there's some institutions, some political figures, like it or not, it is here to stay. 
You know, Absolutely. it's a part of our society. And a lot of the more traditional things are being thrown out the window, especially in places like New York City. I mean, all you have to look at is, you know, these comic book conventions, how big these comic book movies also have gotten. And video games are part of it. So, yeah, I, I believe spectatorship for video games in general are just going to keep getting bigger and bigger, especially if you have, you know, characters. And by that, I mean the streamers themselves, because mm -hmm. something a lot of people never mention to be in order to be a good streamer, in order to grab people's attentions, you have to have some sort of personality. Right, right. Exactly. And a lot of people like the reason why they watch a stream, they'll say like, yeah, uh, you know, I don't even care about the game. Right. Like I'm there for the personality. <laughs> Oh, definitely. Personality goes a long way. I mean, I was talking to somebody before on one of our episodes, Posey, and he's trying to become a content creator. But like he says, man, this is a full time job. You, mm -hmm. you know, you just can't bring out videos like as if as if, oh, I, I, I have a thousand followers. Everybody is going to watch. No, uh, it, it, you have to put in a lot of effort into doing these things to become a online personality, which is one of the reasons I also think, and like you mentioned before, why a lot of people tune into these streamers. Absolutely. Well, Doctor, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. I'm really glad that uh, you came on to discuss this with me. I really appreciate it. Again, this has been a topic uh, that I've always been very interested in. I'm glad I found this journal of yours. Where could people uh, reach out to you to get in contact with you regarding anything you're doing in the future or even the eSports Research Network? Yeah, so I think Twitter is usually the easiest place to find me. Uh, and my handle is at Stephanie Orm. So that's uh, S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-O-R-M-E, Amazon monkey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I always have to clarify because I get like N a lot. I don't know. But yeah, that's probably the easiest way. Um, the Esports Research Network. I always forget what our Twitter handle is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they could just go in there and search for it. Yeah, if you Google Esports Research Network, you definitely find us. I think we're, what are we? Esports. Here I am, Googling it. It's embarrassing. <laughs> you know, it's a problem when I bookmark everything. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's at Esports ResNet. So R-E-S net. Like like research. That's why I never remember it because it's weird. It's like abbreviated. <laughs> but um, if you also go to esportsresearch.net, that's our website. You can find out more about us. Um, and anybody's welcome to join if you're an esports uh, researcher, if you're in industry, if you're just like interested in what we're doing, we have, you know, you just fill out like a little application, we approve you. Um, it's it's a really awesome community. And that's awesome. Listen, guys, uh, like she says, go and join. A lot of really fun stuff is happening there, especially if you want to look at it outside just the gaming culture, uh, you know, behind the scenes, what some people are thinking, what some people are researching. You know, this is how I found this one. And again, uh, this the name of this journal is Just Watching, a Qualitative Analysis of a Non-Player's Motivations for Video Game Spectatorship. And doctor, where can, you, where can people go and find this? Yeah, um, so it's published in a journal called New Media and Society. Um, if you Google, you know, my name and just watching, you find it. Um, I will say that, like, academic articles tend to be kept behind paywalls. Oh, no. Um, I know, it's super lame. Um, but if anybody would like a copy of this article, I will gladly send it to you for free. <laughs> just, um, just hit me up. Like, send me, no, seriously, send me a DM on Twitter. Actually, my university email is even, like, included um, on the article. There's, like, a way to contact me if you, like, Google, you know, search for the article. 
Um, so I can definitely hook people up with copies. It's totally, totally fine. But yeah, if you, uh, if you don't, because don't pay for it. Don't do that. <laughs> no, please don't. You know what? Hit her up through Twitter. She looks awesome holding that lightsaber. So. <laughs> And doctor, thank you very much for this interview. I really appreciate it. Guys, please follow the podcast over at Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and any other podcast, you know, listening um, platforms. This is KPB Raphael. Again, this is Dr. Stephanie Orm. Doctor, thank you very much. Thank you so much. This was a blast. Thank you. And guys, that was a lot of fun. Take care. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production.